Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And when we thought the sadness that was coming from Texas with the death of those little innocent uh, children and their teachers in, in in Texas, when we thought it just couldn't get any, any worse. Did you hear the story yesterday of the husband of one of the teachers uh, killed who died of what's now believed to be a heart attack? The gentleman's name, Joe Garcia. He was preparing yesterday for the funeral of his wife, Irma Garcia. They had been high school sweethearts. They were married 24 years and he collapsed and uh, died. They are both now leaving behind four teenage uh, children. Uh, His wife, Irma, 46-year-old, was one of the two teachers at the Robb Elementary School who died along with the 19 uh, children. And uh, he seemingly he had attended. There had been some sort of a prayer service and a laying of flowers for the 19 who had been killed. And uh, he came home and collapsed and uh, died. Just that poor, poor family. His children, you can't help but think of his children. And then going on in the background while, you know, everybody is talking about how awful the situation now, the dreadful what happened in uh, Texas and the biggest gun lobby in the US this is the the NRA the National Rifle Association they are pressing ahead with preparations for their annual gathering in uh, Houston and Houston is about 450 kilometers away from Uvalde in Texas where the shooting occurred this week and when I had been when I had gone on to the website of the National Rifle Association. I saw that their annual general meeting was coming up and I said, surely they're going to cancel that. And they're not. They're going to go ahead with it in a country where gun rights, of course, are enshrined in America in the Constitution and gun sales in the millions are uh, surging. And the NRA is likely to shrug shrug off, as they always have done, any new calls for more gun control measures despite the latest uh, shooting. And if you go on to the NRA's website, there is a page dedicated to the gathering and it's dominated by messages offering deepest sympathies to the victims of Tuesday's school shooting but they're still going ahead with the meeting the rest of the page then are you know it's promoting the annual meeting where Republicans including the former President Donald Trump is expected to uh, speak and this it turns out isn't new for the National Rifle Association to go ahead with their gathering because it, it seems it's a decades long strategy of standing up to pressure 
Farm Gun Control and it harps back to 1999. 1999 was the year of the Columbine High School shooting in Colorado. Uh, back in 1999, the NRA's annual convention was scheduled to take place in Denver, again just days after uh, the shooting, in which back in Columbine High, two senior, two school seniors uh, shot and killed 12 classmates and a teacher before taking their own life. And they went ahead and held the meeting uh, regardless. Now, I have noticed at the NRAs at their annual meeting, the arms manufacturer Daniel Defence said they will no longer attend the NRA meeting uh, due to the Uvalde shooting where one of, they say, one of their products, one of their guns uh, was, as they say, criminally misused. And they say, we believe this week is not an appropriate time to be promoting our products in uh, Texas at the NRA meeting. So well done to that company, Daniel uh, Defence. And bearing in mind that the majority of Americans are broadly supportive of both the right to own arms, but also the idea of regulating gun ownership. So that's what's wrong in the States. Anyone can go in and uh, buy a gun. And it's just, are we going to, every couple of weeks or months, hear of more and more shootings and families left absolutely devastated. It truly is shocking. 0818 103 103. And on a more happier note and a brighter note for us here in Ireland, we, I read with great interest this morning and got a little bit excited about this, that local authorities are to be given up to €400,000 each. And this is to renovate old convents, old banks, maybe the old post office, an old cinema. It's a new government scheme and it's aimed at addressing the scourge of derelict buildings in rural towns and villages. And what's going to happen is local authorities all over the country are being told to canvass the opinions of local community groups and activists on which buildings they would like to see renovated under this new, in total, €30 million is going to be put into the scheme. The move will mean that people will be able to put forward proposals for refurbishing any kind of derelict buildings within their community, uh, which could then be renovated to become spaces for local activities. And the scheme will focus on buildings which have become eyesores. And it is hoped that the funding will be used to bring life back into what was once cornerstones of the community. The funding can be used to buy and renovate old buildings that can then go on to be used say, as community centres, they can be used maybe as community theatres, they can be used as digital hubs for people working from home and particularly people who would like to be able to work from home and avoid daily commutes into larger cities. The funding will also be used to develop sites, can be used sites into parks, maybe green spaces, maybe some kind of recreational amenities for a town or a village. And the state support will allow councils to develop derelict sites and buildings. They can also turn them into things like outdoor dining spaces. They can turn them into plazas inside in town centres, even though I think if you mentioned the word plaza in Mallow Town, you'll probably get a negative connotation. But plazas in other areas might uh, work and might be something that uh, other towns and villages would really like the idea of. Now, however, councils are being encouraged. This is coming from the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys, to make sure that they do engage with the local community groups, the local town teams, local chamber of commerce, 
and get out there and ask the people to identify the most suitable properties to be targeted with the funding. And I think that's the right way to do. Ask the people what they would like to see rather than the local authorities and nothing wrong with our wonderful local authorities, but rather than people in planning offices deciding, oh, I think that's what Bandon Town should have. Oh, I think that's what Castletown Roach really needs. Oh, Alihees could do with that. Go ask the people in those areas what they would most like to see done. Now, it seems every local authority outside of Dublin will be able to apply for the funding, which can then, as I say, go on to be used by refurbished landmarked buildings in rural communities. And the plan is particularly aimed at ones maybe that have been derelict for many, many years. And then councils will be able to draw down a maximum of €400,000 that can be then used to purchase the property, renovate it, or whatever the, whatever the money, whatever they need to do with the money. They can also take the money and divide it in half and run it across two uh, projects if they want. The funding is being made available. It's under the Town and Village Renewal Programme and it aims to support the continued uh, regeneration of our rural towns and villages in the scheme. Typically funds communities with a population up to 10,000 people. Now, any larger rural towns with a population, say, of up to 15,000 people, they may also be eligible if the application for funding is particularly strong and the project would have a significant impact on the area. Heather Humphreys, Minister for Social Protection, she launched the scheme today and she says the government's rural future initiative is aimed at regenerating rural towns and villages so that they become attractive places to live. Now, I think it's a really good scheme. I wonder, is there enough money in there? But let's not let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. It initially is 30 million euro. And I suppose if it can be proven that this is a very successful scheme, then maybe there will be in future years, more money will be put into the scheme and councils will be able to identify more properties. But I do like, and there seems to be a real strong emphasis from Heather Humphreys to go out and talk to local community groups. I mean, I would be talking to the Chamber of Commerce, they're an obvious one, but I would be talking to people like the local tidy towns uh, groups, local walking groups, any sort of a local group, local voluntary groups that are working and on the ground in the area. They're the ones who know the area well, know the people well and will know what will benefit the area but certainly I take it there isn't a town or a village that doesn't have a derelict building and a building that has been derelict for quite some time you know I mean we mentioned there there's banks that have closed over the years and some of those banks were big fine buildings unfortunately we've lost a number of our post offices there's schools there's many derelict schools in rural areas that were once you know the centre of maybe a village when all of the children would have been attended they could be turned into something. So I do think it's a it's a really, really good uh, scheme and let's see it get up and running and let's hope that for Cork County Council's point of view and Cork City Council's point of view that they will be oversubscribed, that more and more local towns and villages will be applying for the funding. But it, I think it's very much going to be up to local towns to get together and organise and put in a strong an application as possible. And I mentioned the funding that's been made available under the Town and Village Renewal Programme 
Instagram uh, to do up old derelict buildings in town. Straight away, somebody in with a suggestion says, Morning to you, Trish. The government funding could be well used for the Central Hotel in the middle of Mallow Town. That has been an eyesore for years. And I think that's probably exactly the type of projects that Heather Humphreys uh, has in mind uh, for this scheme. But remember last year, August of last year, it was reported in the Corkman by Bill Brown. The plans have been drawn up for the redevelopment of the dilapidated former Central Hotel in Mallow. And he was saying it was following confirmation that the landmark town centre premises has been purchased by local property developer Pat Shine. The Corkman understands a contract for the purchase of the building has been signed within the past week. Uh, paving the way for long-awaited and much-anticipated refurbishment. And that was August of last year. I don't know what the update on that story is. But yes, it would be absolutely terrific. That has been an eyesore on the main street in Mallow. But I think that's one of the plans... Uh, that's one of the reasons for this scheme. In every single town and village, unfortunately, in this country, there are dilapidated buildings like that and I think when they are in the centre of town or on the main street gives a really really bad image of a town so but thank you that is a really good suggestion anybody else with suggestions in your own area if there's a derelict building a dilapidated building that you if you had your way and you would like to put forward to get some of this funding so that it will be turned into something what building would you have in mind and what would you turn it into what would you like to see and remember it's got to be something done for the community your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103 or you can text or whatsapp to 086 2103103 and a reminder to you that today is the last day of our Sky Shop competition we're celebrating all this week the opening of the first ever Cork's first ever Sky Shop it's now open on the ground floor of Mahon Point Shopping Centre and today we are giving away a home cinema package it's got a projector projector screen home cinema sound system and a hundred euro in Sky store vouchers so you can check out all the latest movies on Sky on your own personal home cinema package. I will play another clip today, the final clip of a show that we've downloaded from the Sky store and I'll give you two possible answers and as we've been doing all week we'll ask for you to text or WhatsApp your answer to 0862 103 103 we will select our final qualifier and then we will make a draw later on on the programme and announce the winner 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie according to the latest report from the Environmental Protection Agency many more homes are at risk from high levels of cancer causing radon gas with householders now being urged to check their address our air code against an online radon map on the EPA website joining me to discuss the latest report and to remind us about radon gas I'm joined by Alison Dowdell who's a scientist uh, with the EPA good morning to you Alison Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having well, me on. Well, listen, you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, I remember certainly throughout the noughties, uh, David Fenton, who works with you at the EPA, was a regular guest here on the programme talking about radon gas because the North Cork area in particular had high levels of radon gas. This report that you brought out this week, is it showing an increase in radon gas levels in all around the country? Uh, it is. So um, we have a, a new map 
um, that we published yesterday. And, and as you say, like we would have known that uh, parts of Cork were particularly at risk from you know many years ago. As you say, my colleague David would have been down uh, talking to you. Um, the new map is uh, it has better resolution. It's got much more uh, information in there, so it gives us a much better picture of the parts of the country that are at risk from radon. Um, so just, I suppose, to remind uh, everybody listening, radon is a gas. Um, it's radioactive. It comes from the ground. And because it's a gas, it can make its way through any small crack or gap in uh, our homes and in workplaces and, and can build up to high levels um, in our buildings. Um, and then because it has no colour, smell or taste, you know, we've no way of knowing um, what the level is uh, in our buildings. Um, and it causes about 350 cases of lung cancer every year in Ireland. So really the map is a, an important way of people to identify, showing uh, the risk in their area and how they can, you know, identify um, how much at risk they are and um, then can think about testing their homes uh, and their workplaces. And just to say to you as well, the, the other important point is that um, for employers, with workplaces in high radon areas, they're actually legally obliged to test for radon and to carry out remediation work if necessary. So, um, you know, really important that employers do check if they're located in a high-risk area. And is there an increase in radon gas or is it just that this map is giving more information than, say, 20 years ago? Yeah, it's it's that we have more information. So the, the old map that we had um, it was based on measurements that were done 20 years ago. So they were in about 11,000 homes throughout the country. So, you know, over the last 20 years, where we build has changed. And um, this new map has over 30,000 measurements in it. Um, but the other thing that we've added in is a geological map. So now we can, uh, combining all of that, we get a better picture of the risk. And also the resolution is better. So you can... Um, you know, you can zoom in. Uh, the last map had a 10 kilometre grid square resolution, whereas this one now you can you can zoom right in and you can use your air code to search Fantastic. for the risk well in done. your area. Well, well done. Yeah. And so, jo- I mean, and just to say to you, sorry, Nick, yeah. just to say to you, we've had such a response with the launch of the map. They are actually down. They've crashed on our website. So yeah. I don't want anyone listening to get annoyed when they go to look for them. Uh, we are wor- working on this and we'll have them back up and running as soon as possible. Okay, because I know I was trying yesterday and I tried again I tried again this morning. But yeah, it's, it, that just shows the interest, which is which is good. It's good. Let's not, we won't knock that. It is, um, people, no, absolutely. People want yeah. to check. But I think it's also important to point out that just because you're area might be highlighted as an area of high radon gas it doesn't necessarily mean that your home will test high for radon gas because I remember back as I say back at the time when we were really pushing people in North Cork uh, to test their houses we could have neighbourhoods where where one side of the street might have high radon gas and across the road houses will be tested and they wouldn't have high radon gas Yeah no, that, yeah, that's really interesting um, we, we come across that a lot um, so where you'd have a, a terrace of houses and one might have a, a high level of radon and the others don't. So, yeah. you know, again, if, if you know that a neighbour has tested, don't rely on that. Um, you need to have your own home tested. You know, and it, you, then you'll have the reassurance as well of knowing the level in your home. But, um, yeah, th- this gas, just it can be just, it finds an entry point in one particular building um, that it, it's not there in the others. So, 
yeah, really important to, to find out for your own building. And if you tested previously, do you need to test again? No. So if you tested and you found that the, the level was low, um, it should stay the same unless you've done anything to the house in the meantime that might change um, how the gas could get in or out of the house. So, for example, if you added insulation or uh, maybe added an extension, um, a new heating system. So those kind of things that affect, say, how air gets in and out of the house. Um, if you've done something like that, um, it would be advisable just to do it again. But if the house is still the same and your result is low, no, then you're fine. And for householders, it is extremely easy to test your your house. Yeah, it, it is straightforward. Um, there's five companies on our website. They're all registered with ourselves. Um, they provide the testing service. It costs about 50 euros. Um, so once you order the detectors, they're posted to your home. So it's you know that part's all very straightforward. Um, the detectors are put in the parts of your house where you spend most of your time. So a main bedroom or a living area. And they're left there for three months. And then you post them back to the company that you bought them from. They'll analyse them and then they'll send you a test report um, with, along with information if the result is high and you need to do something to fix the levels. Now talk to us, talk me through that. If you get results back and the levels are high, how do you sort the problem of radon gas? Yeah, so the, the most effective way to fix a radon problem is to install what's called a radon sump. Um, what that is, it's a cavity that's uh, put in under the floor slab of the house. So you would have to drill through the, the outside wall and down um, into where the like the hardcore, the rock and stone under the house is. It's a very small, like about a bucket full of rock and soil that would be taken out. Really what you're doing is you're opening a cavity under the floor slab of the house. That means that it's an easier pathway for the gas. So rather than radon trying to push up into the house, it finds this big cavity. It will go there a pipe is put into the cavity. The pipe goes up along the outside wall of the house with a fan attached to it. So it's like an extractor on the outside of the house. Um, and then once that's up and running, it, the gas will be sucked out from the ground under the house and then just released to open air. Yeah, because I remember, again, as I say, back in the day when we were first talking about it, people thought that they were going to have to dig up, nearly dig the foundations out of their house and dig up all their floors. That's not the case. That's not the case. I mean, it can be done in about a half a day. Uh, once it's installed and it's up and running, the levels will start to, to drop straight away. Um, and uh, just to say for anyone who does that work, we provide a, a second test then uh, that's free of charge just to check the levels. So if you do remediation work, there is a facility to avail of a free test from ourselves. Yeah. And how, how much roughly does that cost? So, if you were, yeah, a sump does cost um, around a thousand euros to install. So, yeah. you know, it is expensive, but you know, again, it's that peace of mind of knowing that you've reduced your weight on levels and and reduced your risk. So, um, it's I mean, money well spent. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay, so for we we we'll be we we are asking people to go to the EPA website, but wait a day or two. Let it let it calm down a little bit because there's just too many people uh, flooding to the to the website sometime next week. Get people to check. Yeah. 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 All right, Mister yeah. Allison, pass on our best wishes to David. As I say, we haven't spoken uh, to him in a while. Uh, I will. And thank and thank you for for taking the time out to talk to us today. No problem.
No problem. Thank you. Good bye morning bye. to you. Bye bye. That is Alison Dowdle, who is a scientist with the EPA on radon gas. Just make a note of the website, as I say, just before I came on air, I checked it again to see if I could get on, get on to put in my air code of my address uh, to see I, I, even though I, I know the fact that I'm living in Mallow I know it is, will come up as a high radon gas area but I did get, get tested back in the noughties when I think nearly everybody in vast areas of North Cork were getting tested because there was such worrying high levels coming out in various uh, parts uh, but unfortunately so many people are trying to log on to that website because so many other parts of the country now are showing that you could be living in an area with high concentration. So there's been such a rush to the website. It just literally kept crashing uh, yesterday. And as I say, even this morning when I when I went on to do it again, just to, so I could talk people through what they needed to do. Again, it's coming up saying due to high number of visitors, the new radon map may not load for you. If, it, if so, please try again. And that's exactly what happened to me. So leave it for a day or two. But just make a note to remind yourself to do it maybe next week. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Texts and WhatsApps are also available. 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just on radon gas, a text that unfortunately came in too uh, late for me to put it to Alison Dowdell, uh, the scientist with the EPA. Somebody says, uh, ask her about the airtight houses and the problems they are causing. But you see, any modern house, which would, would be the airtight houses, they don't have the problem of radon gas. The radon gas occurs naturally in certain rocks and soil types and it enters houses that are not fitted with the radon membranes which have been found in many modern buildings they started putting in these when radon first got discovered they started putting in these and certainly from the noughties up they started putting in radon membranes when they were building houses or building extensions so any of those new airtight houses or new houses they would have the membrane so they wouldn't have the problem thankfully with uh, radon gas thank you for your question to 0862 103 103 now my next guest this morning is a bandon mother who is urgently looking for a tutor or an SNA who would be available to do a summer provision programme with her 17 year old son Karen Crowley joins me to explain more. Good morning to you Karen Good morning Karen Hello I'm on the right line and there Karen isn't there Okay um, I'll put that back out to John Paul and we will see if we can get Karen on Maybe she dropped out when the ads were on and she didn't uh, realise what was happening. OK, we're going to try and get Karen back on to, th- uh, to the programme. I, uh, and while we're waiting for Karen, Mike in Bantry was on to say, uh, Trish, the liners are rolling in to Bantry Bay. Uh, and there's some coming in, particularly during the months of June, July and September. And Mike says the next liner that is due to birth in Bantry is going to be on the 25th of June. And the liner is called the Europa. And it's funny. Thank you for that, Mike, because I know only a couple of weeks ago we had people asking us when was the next liner coming into Bantry because people like to go down and to view them and and to see them. I know it's the same in uh, Cove as well because it was a huge liner pulled into Cove last week and we had a couple of people who contacted us to say, the, the size of the liner was absolutely massive. So people like to go down and to watch them and whatever. So if you are a liner watcher and you want to go to Bantry, the next one marked that is the 25th of uh, June. OK, we seem to be having problems there. 
uh, getting uh, Karen back on the line. So while we're waiting, we I was mentioning the derelict buildings and this new funding that is going to be made available. It gets announced uh, today under the Town and Village Renewal Programme. We're looking for some of your suggestions if you've derelict buildings in your area that you think uh, could be used. We're looking for any suggestions that you might have if you want to get those uh, into us. If there's a, a derelict building or an eyesore of a building, what would be your suggestion that could be put forward under this Town and Village Renewal Programme? You can call John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Is Karen back with me? Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Our phone lines all went a bit haywire on us. Well, I was explaining that the reason you're joining us, you're looking urgently looking for a tutor or an SNA who would be available to do summer provision programme with your 17-year-old son. So I suppose start by telling me a little bit about um, uh, Fionn. He, he li- his likes and his dislikes and his needs, I suppose. Um, well, Fionn is 17. He is attending St. Gabriel's Special School in Carheen. Um, it's a special school for children with autism and comorbidities of autism and intellectual disabilities and other disabilities. Um, so Fionn has um, autism and intellectual disability and he also suffers from seizures. So I'm just looking for somebody who would love to work with Fionn and who would love to take him for walks and a nice person and good personality. Um, I, I'm not looking for much. I'm sorry, but um, I just, I just have to do this for Fionn, and I it's, it's so hard to find somebody. It's just so difficult. I know. Um, you know. And and he loves the outdoors. Yes, Fionn loves. He absolutely adores the outdoors. He has a swing in, up in the school, and he is on that swing. Constantly, he loves it. He loves it. He's a ward away. Has he received summer provision in the past at St Gabriel's? No, he hasn't. Um, the school facilitates a, a summer camp in August for the kids, so that's not the issue. The school is being renovated at the moment, so they can't do anything in the school due to the building work. Um. The school is going to be amazing when it's done up. It's going to be fantastic and it's nearly double the size. So it's going to facilitate more special needs kids in the West Park and Park area. So in the, that's in fantastic. The, in, in, in the, for the future generation of, of children. Yeah, exactly. but, but Karen, have they not done the four week? I, I mean, to me, I always knew it as July education. When, when the rest of the primary schools closed down, the special schools are allowed to remain open for an extra four weeks. Have they never done that in St. Gabriel's? Um, no, they haven't. Um, I'm not too sure the reasoning behind that. Um, we've always had the home-based provision, so that's been the option open to us. But and the home-based, the home-based provision is is it is it still two hours a day, five days a week? Um, it's forty hours in total for I, I think it's for July and August. Now this year, as far as I know, I'm not certain on that but I've heard that it's for the whole summer I think it was very restrictive in saying July provision yeah. because some parents have other things going on in July so it's easier to kind of spread it out over the summer and it's easier on the kids too because they don't want to be 
you know, tied to certain days and, you know, this kind of thing. So, so the, the person you were looking for would be required to work with Fionn for 40 hours over the summer months? Over the, over the summer, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. It, isn't, it isn't a massive commitment. It isn't. No, it's not. It's not a big commitment. Um, I'm very easygoing. I can work with the person with the hours. I can work with them. You know, that uh, we're not saying this, that and the other. Um, I'm very easygoing, you know, that way. Yeah, um, and it's all about it's all about Fionn and what works it's well. It's all about Fionn for Fionn. and Fionn being happy and Fionn going for his walks and going to the beach or whatever needs to be done. The outdoors would be a big plus for us. Okay. Someone who really likes outdoorsy kind of things. Not very hard going stuff though, but uh, and yeah, the, you, the funding comes from the Department of Education, it but does. but the parents have to find the person. Yes, to, that's yeah. correct. That's, that's correct. all. But that's always been the problem with this particular uh, program. So you've yeah. been granted the funding. So so you need yes. to now, and the person must be must have what SNA qualifications or um, teacher qualifications. Yeah, um, it can be a teacher, um, uh, a student teacher. Or an SNA. Now, I know that the SNA and the teacher, um, the the funding is different. So that's that's a different issue. Okay. But, um, yeah, this. God, a, a student teacher, uh, a student. What it would be great experience for a student teacher because yeah, yeah, they yeah, get paid yeah. at the same time, and a great experience if. Special needs is an area that they're considering, wouldn't it? Be great experience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, someone who will be training now, um, it would be a great, really great experience because John isn't isn't a very difficult child. He's very placid. No, he does have his meltdowns. This is all part and parcel of children with autism. They do have meltdowns, and you have to deal with it and have to learn to deal with it because this is going to happen. When you're working in a school session, yeah, and just to to stop the, the meltdowns and learn to to see what is happening that you can prevent it from happening. Well, a meltdown is always it's a form of communication. It's it's fun, yeah, it's fun it telling you something something's yeah. not not right in my world, right and, and you need you need to help me. Do many families struggle to get somebody to do the summer provision when the school is not is to, to, to fill the forty hours? Well, for this year now, I know of a good few families in the West Cork area who are currently looking for a tutor themselves. So, like, it's not just me, it's other families as well. You know, they're struggling. Have you managed to get someone on previous years? Um, yeah, I have. I have. But the tutor that I had in previous years is not available this year. So, okay. you know, you can't, you can't have it all. Yeah, I know. It's tough. And what... School finishing up uh, at the end of June, Karen, and then you've obviously a long school holiday then until they're back in in September. Are school holidays difficult for Fionn in that his routine changes? Um, Yes, the school holidays are very long. Uh, Fionn likes his routine, so you kind of have to stay within certain parts of his routine and certain things have to still go ahead. In the summer, obviously not school, but you have to kind of take him to certain places and, you know, you have to keep a certain routine going because the routine prevents 
the meltdown. So that has to go ahead, you know. So. Does it also uh, yeah, mean you get no? Does it also mean you get no break throughout the summer? <laughs> Don't get much of a break, but um, we do get um, we get do get support from the brothers of charity. We get home support. Right. Um, we get yeah, we we uh, that that's brilliant. We get a couple of hours every every second week. Okay, okay. Uh, any respite? No, no. no. No, that's it. I, don't, I won't even. I won't even get into that one with you, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at seventeen, has Fionn one more year left at St Gabriel's? Yes, Fionn has one more year left, so he's turning eighteen in November. So we have got the school leavers farm for next year already. So I'm not looking at them yet, but um, yeah, it'll have to be done. And yeah, it's a scary, scary, difficult time. We'll get there. Have you, do, do you have a possibility of an adult placement for him? Um, I'm not too sure, but I will start putting feelers out there. I have started talking to a few people. All right, they're in my local area in Bandon, so I'll find out what is available to Fionn. And we, the HSC will profile Fionn before this all happens so that I'll know exactly what he is going to go into when he turn when he is leaving St. Gabriel's next year. Yeah, see, because you have co-action in West Cork and, and then you'd have the brothers in, this, in Brothers of Charity as well in the city, wouldn't you? So there is choices yeah. there. There is choices there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's always a battle. It's always a battle. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you've, you've, you've put the call out. We have your details. If there's anybody out there that would be willing to work 40 hours uh, with young Fionn over the summer months, please make contact with us. Or if you know of somebody that you could perhaps tell them that what we were talking about today on the radio, we have all of Karen's details and we can put you in contact. Karen, we wish you luck with it and uh, and best wishes to Fiona as well. And you're, you're a great mother. And uh, long may you continue to uh, always have to. Unfortunately, you'll always have to fight for Fiona, but you always will. But uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. Thank you so much, Patricia. And I really appreciate you having me on this morning. Our pleasure. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. That is uh, Karen Crowley uh, joining us from Bandon. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And hopefully it's going to be a better day for one of our listeners because someone today, by the close of the programme, is going to win a home cinema package, including a projector, projector screen, home cinema sound system and €100 Euro in Sky Store vouchers so they can check out all of the latest movies on their brand new home cinema package. It is to celebrate the fact that the first ever Sky Shop has now opened on the ground floor at Mahon Point Shopping Centre. All week I've been playing a clip from a show that we've downloaded from the Sky Store and I give you two possible answers as to what the show might be and you need to text or WhatsApp the answer. Here is the clip from today's show. Romulus, when you laugh, please do it at the same volume as everyone else. We didn't get you from a hyena farm. Thanks, Bob. That's uh, a very popular show. Is it A, Boardwalk Empire or B, Succession? A, Boardwalk Empire or B, Succession? Romulus, when you laugh, please do it at the same volume as everyone else. We didn't get you from a hyena farm. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) 
Okay, if you can tell us what show that comes from, you need to get texting or WhatsApping now. 0862103103 with either answer A, Boardwalk Empire, or B, Succession. Text your answer along with your name and address. We leave the entries come for about 10 minutes and then we will select our final fifth our fifth and final qualifier uh, and we'll do that this hour and then in the next hour we'll make a draw from the five names in the hat and somebody as I say will be winning that home cinema package to celebrate Cork's first ever Sky Shop now open on the ground floor at Mahan Shopping Centre Romulus when you laugh please do it at the same volume as everyone else we didn't get you from a hyena farm thanks Bob and it's text and WhatsApp only, please. Don't call us on that one. 0862103103. Phone lines are open, by the way. If there's anything you want to share with us, John Paul's taking the calls at 0818103103. Just on the derelict building, some suggestions in when I spoke about what's been announced today by the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, under the Town and Village Renewal Programme. There is a new package. €30 million Euro has been put into the scheme and seemingly local authorities, those outside of Dublin, can apply for up to €400,000. And the idea is that a council will submit a proposal of some area in a local town or a local village where there has been a derelict building and they will submit their what their plans would be for that derelict building. Now, it can include buying the property if it isn't already owned by the council, buy it, but then renovate the old building and it can become something like a community centre or what's even been suggested is perhaps turn them into digital hubs for people who want to work from home and who want to move to more rural areas and want to avoid working in large cities. And in particular, they're citing Dublin, people who don't want to be doing daily commutes to Dublin and would prefer to live down the country, live somewhere else they could do that from a digital hub so it's just you know but there'll be lots of other suggestions you know they've even said things like outdoor dining spaces if a town could select an area or a village where a plaza could be put in there's lots and lots of scope uh, for it but I do think local authorities are going to be very imaginative when they submit their application but what Heather Humphreys is at pains to point out that local community groups and town teams and local chambers of commerce all need to be consulted to identify the most suitable properties to be targeted for under this funding and we've opened the phone lines in the text to say have you got a derelict property in your area that's been just lying idle and it's become a real eyesore and it might once have been almost the centre of the town or the village and what would you like to see done with us Joe in Kilmallock says there's a building in Kilmallock it used to house the Bank of Ireland he reckons it's been closed for at least the past 20 years it's becoming an eyesore it hasn't been painted nothing has been done to it so the bank decided to leave Kilmallock about 20 years ago and they locked the front door and it's literally been been left idle and many of those old bank buildings they're great big buildings as well and the very the fact that they were banks they're often on the main street in towns and villages as well so that would be an ideal property even though Joe no suggestion is what you'd like to put in there but certainly that's something that would definitely fall in under this town and village renewal uh, programme and then Noreen says the old convent in Mitchellstown it would be lovely to see that done up it's a disgrace the way that's been left yeah I was saying there's lots of old schools school buildings around and there again fine big buildings as well that certainly could be turned into something that could be of benefit to the local community so there's another good suggestion and then earlier 
somebody was on about the old Central Hotel which is on Main Street in Mallow and that's been a right eyesore for many many years uh, Mary was on to say do you know Patricia there was another fire and I didn't know this at the, at the old Central Hotel site just on Wednesday night firefighters were at the scene I didn't realise that because I mentioned it was August of last year that Bill Brown in the Corkman was running a piece that there were plans to redevelop the dilapidated former Central Hotel in Mallow and I don't know I'll see if I can get any update on that story as to what has happened because the new owner seemingly was going to be working closely with Cork County Council over the coming months to draw up our ambitious plans for the building with a view to lodging a planning application for a programme of works sometime next year which would have been this year I do, and as I say I don't know what the latest on that story uh, is 0818103103 maybe somebody can fill us in on what if anybody does know what the plans are uh, for that now I was contacted during the week by a mum who says she's got a very stressed out son about to say she's leaving certain he's worried about college and he's worried about where he'll go to college he's worried about accommodation and added a light that is nobody knows the date that the Leaving Cert results are coming out and could I find out if there was any update on when the Leaving Cert results are coming out because normally when the young people sit their Leaving Cert at the start of June they know on the day that they sit the exams they they generally speaking have the date that the results are going to come out and that's an important date for the colleges so the colleges then usually a week later will release their first round offers under the CAO uh, system and then obviously for families who have a son or a daughter who are going to have to move to an area to go to college and can't commute from home there's then the 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 next campaign is to find a place for them to live and I don't know what it is going to be like this year with the current housing crisis uh, that we have and unfortunately that mum that contacted us I don't have the very best of news uh, for you because it seems that Leaving Cert students may not get a date for their results until well after the exams start and the exams are due to start on the 8th of June. There is hopes that the results will return to an August release date but an announcement of that date we're now told will be some weeks away so it looks like the Leaving Cert proper will get underway on the 8th of June and even at that stage we may not know the date. Now the reasons for all the uncertainty about the date are twofold. One is to do with the second sitting of the Leaving Cert and that's scheduled to happen in July and a guarantee that results overall will be no lower than the results that came out last year in 2021. Now the July sitting obviously is to facilitate students who won't be able to do the exams in June. They're very conscious that COVID is still out and about. There will be some students unfortunately who'll come down with COVID just as they're about to start the exam and every year of course there are exceptional medical reasons or there might be a family bereavement and students can't sit the exams. So there's going to be a second sitting in July. The Education Minister Norma Foley promised candidates also that the 2021 level and remember there was huge inflation uh, because of the way the exams were run last year people had the choice between the sitting the exams or the predictive uh, grades uh, and therefore we had massive massive increase in points so Norma Foley came out and said that she was building in the 2021 level inflation they will be built into the 2021 results so that's going to require additional work once all the papers have been marked, the built-in inflation is to ensure that the class of 2022 
is not at a disadvantage compared to the CAO applications from last year in a COVID infection rates, while they are still well down on what they were even a couple of months ago. It still is impossible to predict how the virus will affect the Leaving Cert students in June. The number of candidates who have to sit the exams in July, that would then dictate the speed at which the State Examinations Commission can complete the marking of all their papers and make the grade inflation adjustment. The CAO, whose first round college offers are linked to the release of those results, universities, technological universities and students, they've all been scrambling for clarity on a result date and they're saying please do it as soon as possible. Colleges of course cannot complete timetables until they know when the first years are starting and there's obviously also concern that a late start then would eat into tuition time and you know as I mentioned it is going to put students certainly at a disadvantage in securing accommodation, particularly those first year students, obviously for the second year, third year students, fourth year students, you know, they, they know their start date, so they'll be able to head off and get the accommodation ahead of the first years. And you certainly, the transition from secondary school to college can be a daunting enough one as, without students struggling to find accommodation. But it is all going to be down to how many students don't start the exams on the 8th of June. And I take it by the end, probably the first three or four days, they'll have an indication of how many students then are going to come forward to say we need to sit it in July. And once they know those numbers, and hopefully those numbers will be small, hopefully there won't be many students will come down with COVID or other exceptional medical needs. Because if the July figures are a small number, then they certainly will be able to work away and know that they won't have that many papers, extra papers to correct uh, once the second sitting happens in July. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time, and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU.ie. Now, full-time general operatives, but also summer student jobs are available at Alps in Mill Street. Application forms are available from info at alps.ie. And community employment vacancies are available in West Cork. They include general maintenance, that's for Lislevan and Butlerstown, two disability support workers, that's with COPE, to general maintenance people in Kilbritton. Childcare support is wanted in Timaleek Play School and a retail assistant is wanted at the Court McSherry Co-op Store. Administrator and receptionists all wanted in Sensational Kids in Clonakilty. And a sales and delivery person is required to join the team at Clonakilty Brewing Company. You can email frank on clonbrew at gmail.com. And Jones Agri, they're in Ballydesmond. They've got a vacancy for a yard person slash general operative. It's for duties including tyre fitting, loading and unloading deliveries and hydraulic hose assembly. Your contact is Matthew and Matthew's number is 087 294 6881. 
You'll find all the details of the jobs I've just announced and more job opportunities by going online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And just a little bit of good news for people in the West Cork area and an issue we dealt with on Wednesday on the programme to do with Goleen Post Office. Remember we spoke with um, Fianna Fáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan uh, who was, and in fairness I think all of the all of the locally elected representatives were all fighting like mad to try to keep Goleen Post Office open and Christopher I know was due to hold a public meeting next Monday. Well, that meeting is not now going to go ahead because it doesn't need to go ahead because on post have confirmed that they found somebody to take over the, po- the post office. And of course, as we mentioned, the current postmistress, Breda Buckley, she had agreed to stay on if on post found somebody and she'd even agreed to stay on while on post was looking for somebody but she's agreed to, to stay on and will help the new person take take over I don't have a name on who the new person is but certainly there's a, it's a good news and it's a relief for people in the Goleen area of uh, West Cork who really really were fighting hard to keep their post office uh, open 0818 103 103 Now the Oireachtas Committee on Disability Matters have written to both Ministers Norma Foley and Josefa Madigan calling for an extension of the school year in special schools to help reduce the impact of the long summer break. To discuss this further, I'm joined by the chair of the committee and that's uh, Deputy Michael Moynihan. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And Good it's, morning. it's coincidental that we have you on today because just in the last hour I spoke with um, uh, Karen Crowley, a mum from Bandon who's looking for a tutor or an SNA to do home provision for the summer with her uh, son. And I spoke to her about summer provision at the school that her son Fionn goes to, which is St. Gabriel's in Bishopstown. And she was saying that that school has never provided this summer provision. So th- th- do many schools operate the summer provision programme? I suppose some, a lot of the schools were providing the July provision as it started out uh, on the summer provision. And of course, it is an enormous help. It's an enormous help to the kids that want to go that are going to it because it keeps them in routine. And they also, it's probably, you know, they do activities different from what they would be doing during the normal school year. So it has an enormous plus effect for the the, the I suppose the kids that are going there and also for the families and a lot of them of the schools didn't do it this year now there was a huge amount of money allocated in the budget had thought for in the budget to get 40 million to put into July provision or summer provision because you know there was not a lot of, of highlight of the challenges that faced when people were uh, you know during COVID during lockdown and you know when stop start services were going on and you know, there was a sense that we needed to do something in relation to the July provision or the summer provision that's now called. But the difficulty is that a lot of schools are doing it. And they can't, you know, uh, in people that work in, in special units or in schools or right across the schools, you know, they have their down plan, they have their holidays, they have their family commitments and all of that. And that's all understandable and accepted. But what we need to do is to make sure that there is a real talk into the summer provision. I looked at ideas in terms of, you know, and there was uh, in relation to uh, people that would be trainee teachers coming to their, maybe having three years done, going to their final year in teaching, to give them the experience in the uh, in, in the school setting and the, in the classroom setting with people with additional needs. And, you know, strange as it may seem, we don't have that 
facility within our teacher training colleges, which should be there as a norm at this stage. But so, also, so, hang on. So, are you saying that a final year student, third year student in teacher training college, can they apply for these jobs in yes, the school? They can. They can. They, can. they have made, provision have been made to allow those. You know, obviously, graduating and teacher council and all that, but they can apply for those jobs. Okay. But what it, 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 what really coming back to me from the special schools, from the uh, staff within them, from the people that are working there, and also from the units is that you know, staff when they come to the end of the school year, they have you know worked extremely hard, put in, and they work and put in a huge commitment, and they excel because they give it their all, they give it everything in it, and they need their downtime. In it. So it is availability of staff, but also. You know, people that are, and we, we see it crying out in, in right across the, the, uh, for occupational therapy, speech and language therapies, and physiotherapies. But people that are training, that are in university, they're doing these courses in occupational therapy, they're doing it uh, in, uh, in physiotherapy or in speech and language therapy, that they should be looked at as well to give them the experience of working within these environments, working with uh, kids with additional needs, and that they should be looked at to see how we can facilitate that, uh, you know, the rules being changed and the guidelines being allowed for those people to come in because it would have a huge benefit to, to the students, mm. but it would have an enormous benefit to the kids as well. Yeah, so it's, I, it's about thinking outside the box. We, we have to think outside the box and we have to, you know, we have to, I, I, I suppose, we say we have to do the July provision, the summer provision. It gives an enormous a positive impact for everybody and we have to do it and since it was in, introduced a number of years ago it has but there are challenges there are challenges from the school's point of view the challenges and every point of view so we have to look at what the challenges are and rather than you know berating the challenges look at how we can come around it what we can do what the state can do because my fear at the moment is the money that has been allocated for the July provision for the summer of 2022 will be unspent and that is a huge, you know, I suppose it, it saddens me that it, it will go back on spent because of the need that's there mm. for it. And, and, and the alternative is home provision. And that's what uh, Karen, the mum who joined us this morning, that's what she's desperately trying to find somebody to do home provision. Now, but home provision doesn't work for everybody. No, I, I mean, home provision in, in some instances it do, it, it is an answer to it. But there is also the... I suppose, the social aspect of it, the therapeutic aspect of it, you know, on the disability side of it, an awful lot has been moved away over the years and hopefully we'll continue to move from the medical model to the social model of disabilities and to try and provide better services or better facilities for them. And, you know, for kids, when they are in the July provision or the summer provision, they're with their peers, you know, they are in doing activities and it is rather than being isolated with now the the home tuition of the home so that is that is good in itself and it it does give in in alternatives but the ideal is the July provision within the school settings or within the the structural settings but we have to think outside the box and I've been making this point you know, we, we've had an awful lot of, of, of parents and, and, and people coming on to this from the disability uh, committee point of view. And it just pains me to see, you know, that they're facing the summer with no services and they didn't recall the 
the position they were in two years ago in 2020 when the services stopped completely and the challenges that that faced. So I'm looking at, and we've been talking to the governments and saying, look, we need to look outside the box. We need to see what can we do, how we can get more people to come on board and provide July provision. And, you know, routine is hugely important uh, for kids with additional needs. And it gives them, you know, a, a sense of play and a sense of activity. In it. And, and I would be very strong in it. And I suppose on the other point, then, you know, whilst we were fighting that for the last couple of weeks and the theatres and advancing, and the committee that, that, that I chair, we have some great people on it who are really passionate about uh, people with disabilities and the challenges that they face. But then when we see, you know, the talk of centralisation, putting in centres where there is a lack of services or a lack of facilities. And over the last 20 years, we've been looking at mainstreaming and it has been very successful for an author. Because not everybody can go to mainstream depending on their complex needs or their needs. But it is regrettable to think that we are now debating again you know, providing centres. Okay, and I was going to bring this up. This is the government's plan to send children with additional needs to special education centres. Now, it is mainly a Dublin uh, issue. The creation of the special education centres was proposed as an emergency response. And this is to do with the shortage of appropriate school places for children with special needs. And the five centres that have been identified um, are in uh, Dublin. But, you know, it's been widely accepted that placing children with autism in isolated settings, potentially away from their peers and away from their communities, it simply isn't appropriate. It simply isn't appropriate. And, you know, I, I, I honestly think, right, you know, I, I, we have learned nothing. You know, uh, we have it, over the last 20 years, we've been trying to roll back on this. A policy that was there, just you know, centralising them and having institutions and with the decongregated settings and you know, new horizons and and all of that. But here we are again in a reaction to what is undoubtedly challenges for people with in large urban centres. Uh, to a fair point, because you you know, in rural Ireland, a lot of people be raised rural Ireland and the services they have, but by and large, true voluntary committees and. You know, the services have been developed and people have put their shoulder to the wheel to develop them, uh, you know, even on a voluntary basis, albeit relying on state funding to provide it. But they have stepped up to the mark. And in, <clears throat> in large urban areas, the facilities aren't there. And I think that we, you know, I suppose go back to 20, March 2020, you know, services were cut and the most vulnerable were hit at the very start. And it is now again like, how do we make a fast decision to rectify this? Why haven't we a planned approach in relation to this? We have to think outside the box. We have to make sure that all schools that are, you know, looking for additional accommodation or additional facilities, that they are accommodated. And we need to bring people into our communities. We need to ensure that our communities who are very, very welcoming and very, very accommodating in terms of people with additional needs, that that facility is being provided by the state rather than centralising. And I believe centralising is a regressive policy and will have a detrimental impact. Were you, were you aware on your committee that this plan was going to be announced? No, no, we were not. We were not. We, we raised the issue. I suppose we've raised the issue because parents uh, have been on to us on a continuous basis looking for, uh, a, a, particularly from a primary school into second level education, where there is a huge difficulty there uh, uh, for placement. And the, we have been raising this issue but that policy was, you know, 
I talked to Mr. Meeting yesterday morning. We didn't we, we we didn't have any form of notification of that. But we think I think myself, and it will be discussed later. But I think myself that it is not the right way to go, and I think that we have to be more inclusive, and that we have to look at you know the improvements that we've had over the last number of years. But we also have to build on them and not go back to the policies of the past in relation to centralisation. Absolutely. And do we need more schools to provide special education classes? Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I believe so. And I, 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 judging by the, the conversations I've had with, with schools and school communities who have put in additional accommodation for people with special needs, it has enhanced their communities enormously, their school communities. It has enhanced the uh, all the kids that are going to the schools. You know, there was one uh, mother talking uh, yesterday at the committee and she said when she goes down the, the streets with her son who has additional needs and the way society looks or, you know, stairs or whatever. But that is barriers are being broken down at, at school level when kids with additional needs are in, in mainstream schools. They don't see any difference. And it, it, it is a hugely positive for society to have that as we go forward into the, you know, as everyone benefits. Absolutely. Every, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody benefits. But when we're talking about school is having a problem getting staff to do the July provision, the HSE confirming this week that the average staff vacancy rate is 28 percent in the community disability network teams. I mean, that situation is shocking. But how do we deal with it? Well, it is shocking, right? And, you know, the point was made yesterday morning at our committee as well. If there was a shortage of uh, um, staff in a particular pharmaceutical industry or, or a multinational that was coming in or whatever, you know, uh, there would be an all-out uh, uh, fair or, or recruitment drive internationally in relation to it. And, like, you know, some of the service providers are looking internationally to get uh, staff in, to get qualified staff in. And we should be out there at every possible avenue to get staff in. It has been identified over some time that there is a huge shortage of staff in in the disability sector and to try and retain staff in it. There's also parity of pay between Section 38 and Section 39 organisations that needs to be looked at. But we need to be aggressively going out on the international market and trying to bring people back to us and give the quality of, I suppose, the job quality and the job satisfaction that they can derive from working within the disability sector, which is enormous, but they have to be recruited back into it. And also my point, I suppose, with the people that are going to college studying for occupational therapy or uh, physio or speech and language, not to lose them to the international yeah. market. If, I just, if we, it saddens me when, when I think that we educate our brightest young people and they get on a plane and they, they head away. Yeah, and, and like, the job opportunities and the uh, career pathways need to be made available for them. And I, I suppose the real point is that, you know, if, we, if, if, they, if they will look at bringing people that are undergraduates on these uh, specialities, occupational therapy, speech and language or physio, into the July provision and, you know, see the work that they can do uh, prior to qualification, they will have, they have very little experience uh, and they will gain that experience through the July provision and maybe that's an incentive to keep them within the system because we need them as a society, as a people, we need to make sure that our brightest and best that we have that are qualified are not going to the far-flung corners of the world 
that they're kept within Ireland and that we can provide the services and, and, and another country benefits from, from our great education system it's, it's always been a problem that we've had alright listen Michael we leave it there thank you for that and, and continue good luck with the work of the Disability uh, Matters uh, Committee uh, you, you really are bringing things to the fore which is so important uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning thank you thank good you. morning to you bye bye that is um, Finn Fault to all Deputy Michael Moynihan 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie All roads will lead to the Cork Race Course in Mallow this weekend for the staging of this year's Mallow Home and Garden Festival to get a flavour of this year's event I'm joined by one of the expert gardeners who will be in attendance and that's Porik Horkin Good morning to you Porik Good morning, Patricia, from a beautiful mallow. Well, I just mentioned it earlier today, the sun always seems to shine for the Garden Festival. It's absolutely gorgeous today, and the crowds are in already, and it's very, very busy. Um, but it's, it's a terrific show, um, and the weather is going to be very kind to us right through until Sunday evening. Which is brilliant, which is brilliant. OK, as you say, the gates opened uh, less than an hour ago, 11 o'clock this morning. What, what, what's, what's the race course looking like? It's absolutely fabulous. First of all, the organisers have done a brilliant job on the 25 show gardens. They've been totally transformed with new planting and they look absolutely amazing. And even the gardens alone, Patricia, people wanted ideas for their own garden that you could take back. Some really good ideas are available, particularly of the the 25 show gardens. So I'd highly recommend those. Along with that, there are some of the best Irish nurseries here at the show, I mean, there's just a myriad of plants, a kaleidoscope of colours uh, surrounding me at the moment. Some beautiful perennial plants in particular, they seem to be on trend at the moment. Lots of cottage garden plants like the lovely lupins, which are in flower at the moment, and salvias, and lovely range of, of colour here at the show. But it's not just about plants, there's lots of really good gardening items as well. I spotted this morning the veggie pod stand, and that's trending hugely at the moment the growing of vegetables particularly with the way prices of vegetables are going up and uh, listeners interested in planting their own organic vegetables look out for that the veggie pot stand. Yeah, t- tell me about this I read something about this um, during the week and I was it, 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 describe to me what this veggie pot is so it's actually an Australian invention it came to us all the way from Australia but basically it's a grow bed it's at waist height so it allows you to grow salads and herbs and fruiting plants and vegetables and rooting crops simply under patio. So it's uh, the large veggie pod is roughly about two metres by one metre. It's got a foot of growing depth. It's got its own built-in watering system. So it, you can simply go away in holidays and the plants continue to grow because of the reservoir that's there. And it comes with this cover, Patricia, that keeps off the bugs. So it keeps off the green flying caterpillars. You can actually grow your vegetables, things like strawberries. I noticed one that had beautiful strawberries in it this morning. Um, and literally, you can grow it out on your patio. So all your salad leaves, all your veggie, veggies, any of the kind of cut and come lettuce, um, any of the fruiting plants like chilies and peppers and dwarf tomatoes, they work really well 
in the veggie pod. So that, I thought, I'm creating a great yeah. stir and, here at the show. And I also think the fact, when I was looking at it, the fact that it is waist height. Yes. For somebody maybe who's getting on in years and not able to do as much gardening that maybe that they did in previous years, I think this is a lovely idea for them. I, and particularly for children, because it's, it's fabulous for children, because, you know, the child that grows the strawberry eats the strawberry. Yeah. So if we can yeah. encourage our kids to start growing some of their five a day, you've got a better chance of them tasting and using those particular vegetables uh, or salads or, or fruiting plants in the household. And you can literally use the veggie pod to grow your five a day on your patio. It's a brilliant, brilliant yeah, idea. Yeah, and doesn't, doesn't take up that much space for people who don't have uh, a lot of space. Do you expect, Porrick, that this year's festival will be busier than ever? Because so many people seemed to have taken up gardening or developed yeah. an interest in gardening during lockdowns. Well, if COVID was good for anything, it encouraged people to embrace their gardens. It's as if we found our gardens um, for the first time. And there's a huge new cohort of people that have come into gardening during COVID. And that trend is continuing right through. The spring has been quite cold this year, but even still, there's a huge interest in gardening. And of course, this year, this week, you've got the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK. You've got the Mallow Show for three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday here in Cork. But you've also got Bloom next week. Mm. And we're expecting huge crowds in Mallow, but also at Bloom next week as well. So, yes, the interest is is very, very popular in gardening. And you, you couldn't be at anything better, Tricia. And do you believe anyone can take up gardening? You know the way you Absolutely. hear people saying, oh, I'm not green fingered. I wouldn't be able to grow. grow, any, grow. And, and I know we have Peter Dowdle, who's out with you at the Garden yes. Festival. We have Peter on every Wednesday. And Peter's attitude always is, give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah. We, we learn by our mistakes. And look, plants are so easy to grow, particularly a lot of the cottage garden plants that I mentioned. I mean, you put them into the ground, they come into flower in their first year, they flower every year after that, and they multiply in size. So plants like Rudbeckias or the lupins I mentioned earlier, they're such a simple plant to grow and they come back year after year after year. They're a great investment. Remember, we've got Charlie Wilkins here as well yeah, the show. wonderful uh, Charlie. Peter Dowdle is here as well. So he's on every day giving talks and I'll be giving a talk at 12 o'clock every day as well very now shortly you're, yeah, actually now you're, yeah, I'm watching the clock for you I, I won't <laughs> have you late your, your talk is biodiversity uh, colour through biodiversity in your garden what, yeah. what so, would be your main message this year? Well I, I've got a couple of messages that I'm, I'm, I'm um, going to be talking about particularly about children and getting children into gardening you know and that whole philosophy of the child that grows the strawberry eats the strawberry so I'll be talking quite a bit about that I'll be talking about a wide range of plants that are beneficial for pollinators so the honeybee and the bumblebee the sort of plants that will add stunning colour to your garden but also give back to nature as well we're in no more May but so I have a message about not cutting your lawns during May to allow the dandelions and the daisies to flower so we're touching on a little bit about that as well it's sad to think, Patricia, that we import so much of our fruit and vegetables from places like New Zealand, South Africa. So my message is you can grow all of those plants in your own garden. So we'll be talking about the growing of fruit, the growing of herbs, the growing of vegetables, um, flowers, how to get colour. Even a hanging basket is a great device, again, to add colour to your garden, but also to bring those very important pollinators into your garden as well. So it's, it's all of those messages, giving people practical tips 
on how to get back into garden, but do it in a, an environment friendly way. Well done. Well done. And, and I love the fact that you're pushing for children to get involved. And I know so many children have got involved uh, with what's going on in Ukraine, planting the sunflowers. And I think sunflowers yes. are a wonderful thing for children to start with because they grow so quickly and they grow so big. And you know that the sunflower follows the sun all day long. So it starts in, in the east and finishes facing west every night. Incredible. So it tracks the sun. Sunflowers are also good for the bees. But more importantly, when they set their seed in the autumn, they're, they're fantastic for the birds. So always leave your sunflowers in the garden to, for the seeds to ripen in October, November. So the birds come and feed in your garden. So sunflowers, you're, you're quite correct, is a great way to get children involved in gardening. OK, well done. OK, lots of other attractions. The vintage car show is there as it is yes. every year. Pet Expo is always uh, great fun. And I always say to people who've never gone to the Mallow Garden, Home Garden Festival, go hungry because of the yes. art. Uh, the the art beautiful food. Market. food. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely go. beautiful food. I've, I've yeah. tasted some of it this morning. It's absolutely delicious. <laughs> absolutely. I know where I'm going for lunch today, Patricia. <laughs> You've already You've already you've already picked it. Okay, let you let you head off to the seminar room is where you'll be. You're there every day at twelve o'clock today, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We wish everybody luck with it, and good to know that once again the sun is uh, shining. Uh, Podrick, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, uh, Podrick uh, Horkin. And actually, the on on Wednesday when Peter was on with us, a listener said that she's always enjoyed Peter's seminars at the Mallow Garden Festival and she wanted to know what, what time and what day was he was on and he actually had to admit that he is attending but he didn't know the day and the time and I can tell you because I have the programme in front of you. It's two o'clock today if you're going to the Mallow Garden Festival and two o'clock tomorrow. He unfortunately isn't available on Sunday but Peter is speaking today and uh, tomorrow and he is doing Gardening Pleasures. That is the name of his talk. Two o'clock Friday Friday and two o'clock on Saturday and the wonderful who we always enjoy. Let me see. Charlie is doing one o'clock and he's there every day, I'm sure. Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And he does that special question and answer session at the uh, at the festival. And he does a question and answer on festival on the flowers that are at the festival. And I always think that's great because if you go around and you spot something and you might be a little bit unsure about it, try to time it so that you can get into Charlie's talk at at one o'clock and he will answer all of your questions. That's the Mallow Garden Festival now officially open. It's 11 to 6 each day, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let us wrap up our Sky Shop competition that we've been running all this week. This was our... Romulus, when you laugh, please do it at the same volume as everyone else. We didn't get you from a hyena farm. Thanks, Pop. Thanks, Pop. And that was kind of a clue as well. The show was, of course, a succession. Majority of people got it right. We have done a selection from all the correct answers, made a draw, and our, our Sky Qualifier fifth and final one, John Whelan in Leem Lara. Congratulations, John Leem. John Whelan in Liam Lara going into the hat and now we will randomly generate from our five qualifiers who is going to get the overall prize who is our winner and our winner is the computer says Shane O'Brien in Formoy who I think qualified on Wednesday congratulations Shane O'Brien in Formoy has won for himself a home cinema package projector projector screen home cinema sound system and 100 euro in Sky 
store vouchers so that Shane could check out all of the latest movies on Sky on his brand new home cinema package, which is worth €2,000. Congratulations, celebrating Cork's first ever Sky Shop, now open on the ground floor at Mahon Point Shopping Centre. Congratulations, Shane O'Brien in Formoy, and thanks to everybody who took part. We had a great bit of fun with that competition this week. Now, looking to some of your calls and texts coming in, we were talking about derelict buildings earlier on in the programme, and in particular, I was talking about the fact that the Minister for social protection Heather Humphreys is about to announce a new scheme and it's going to be worth 30 million euro in total whereby local authorities can apply for up to 400,000 each to renovate old convents old banks old post offices cinemas under this new scheme and it's to address the scourge of derelict buildings in rural towns and uh, villages Margaret says Patricia in relation to derelict buildings there is a boarded up unsightly looking derelict house. It's on the main street in Shardville. It's been this way for many, many years. Recently, rats have been seen coming out of the downpipe. Oh, and it's close to shops and just mention of the word uh, rats. The council appear to be closing their eyes to many of these derelict buildings that are all over our towns and villages. Well, that's the reason that the minister has come out. She's describing them as the scourge of uh, derelict uh, buildings. How can they take... Um, how? well done for highlighting the subject well you know in fairness it's well done to Heather Humphreys for coming out with this scheme says Margaret but that really doesn't sound nice at all and for shops and people living nearby it's just unfair if a building gets that run down that it gets infested with rats and Mary says uh, Patricia my daughter rents a house she actually has purchased a little cottage but unfortunately she doesn't have the money to do it up she's currently paying rent so while she's paying the rent she can't save for the money that she needs to do up this little cottage. If the government are thinking of giving big tax breaks for these big derelict buildings, why not give grants to people like my daughter so that she could do up her little property? My daughter at one stage even thought about giving up work to go on the social housing list but we advised her not to know, tell her hang on to her job and hopefully things will get better for her and she'll be able to somehow get the money together to do up that uh, cottage but it's frustrating when she sees all of her money going on rent, isn't it? It just seems to be such dead money, particularly when you have a property and you're trying to save to do up the property or trying to save to get a mortgage to do up the property. Dan in Ballinhasic says we seem to be very slow to do anything like this when it comes to derelict buildings. It shouldn't take week, weeks, months or should I say, Dan, even years to take action. We're slow. We seem to do all the talking and then we never seem to take action. That's from Dan in Ballinhasic. Thank you, Dan, to 0818 103 103. And Mossy says, I think the government should get back into the real world and stop what Mossy calls deflection tactics. What's he talking about? He's talking about the pieces I did during the week about what was coming out from the government about next year's budget and how discussions are already in place for the October budget, which will be the budget of 2023. Mossy says, what about the here and now? The catastrophic inflation that we're all facing and the multitude of problems currently facing Irish people. Telling us about next year's budget is poppycock says Mossy and it's not living in the real world it's here and now 
of what is what most people are worried about. And yeah, how right you are. And Mossy, I know when I was doing the piece that I'd read in the paper about, you know, some of the things that they're looking at, like it was help with childcare. It was help with the cost of public transport. There's talks of helping out parents who've got a son or daughter going to third level education. It was things like that that they're looking at at the moment. But they're only actually, you know, just putting together what's going to be in the budget. The amount of people that contacted us and said, well, all of those schemes sound great. What about the here and now? What about now? when I can't afford to pay my electricity bill, when I can't afford to put food on uh, the table. We mentioned the Leaving Cert and how we can't get a fixed date. Nobody can get a fixed date for the Leaving Cert yet. Somebody says, Patricia, would you ever play the song One Day at a Time? Not by Gloria, wasn't it? For the parents who are heaping stress on the Leaving Cert students when they should be getting ready for their exams now, then let them do the exam in peace and then consider the future. How can they take all the stresses at once? In fairness, the mum that contacted us in, during the week, what reason she contacted us to see if we could find out the date of the results, it, it wasn't her putting the stress on her son, it was the son putting the stress on himself. And she was trying to do the research and, and got on to me to see if we could find out in order to try to alleviate her son's stress. So you can't, you can't, it isn't always the parents that do it. The children sometimes can heap this amazing stress on themselves and then it's the parents playing the role of trying to keep everything as calm as possible. And I mentioned at the start of the programme just that off, that really sad story coming out from Uvalde in Texas of the gentleman who, he was the husband of one of the teacher's who was uh, shot dead on Wednesday and yesterday. He was attending with his teenage children, I assume, some kind of a memorial service where they were laying flowers in memory of those that had died. And unfortunately, he went home and had a massive heart attack and died. And they're leaving behind four children now who've lost their mother and their father all in the one week. And of course, it's opening up that whole debate again in America about gun control and who is entitled to get a a gun. And we know it's in their constitution is the right to bear arms. Well, Michael sent me on a screenshot of a homemade sign that this was actually at some kind of, I'm assuming some kind of a rally. I don't know if this was in Uvalde in Texas this week or not, but it was actually at some kind of a memorial or a rally against the gun laws in the States. And it's a homemade sign that somebody turned up with, got a piece of cardboard and wrote this out. And it says, let's take a moment to honour the sacrifice of our brave school children who lay down their lives to protect our right to bear arms. And as Michael says, doesn't that just say it all? The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Sacred Heart Parish Centre that's on the Western uh, Road. They are open to accept donations of plants, bric-a-brac. Their sale is happening this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Look out for the large display of vintage cars at the Mallow Home and Garden Festival that we were talking about in the last hour. Do Hollow Vintage Club have organised the display along with a fundraiser for motor neuron disease. Your support would be much appreciated. And people are asked to donate clothes, shoes, teenage clothes in particular, baby clothes, etc. It's for the Ukrainian refugees and you can hand them in to Sarsfields GAA Club tomorrow Saturday from half ten to half twelve. 
and Mallow's very own Various Voices will be performing along with some glorious local talent at St Mary's Church in Donnerill tonight at half past seven. Tickets are available by contacting Art for the Heart or Great Artitude on Facebook. You can visit Great Artitude on Main Street in uh, Donnerill. And due to unforeseen circumstances, staff at a day in Newmarket was postponed on Friday the 27th, but you're asked to support events which are arranged for today. And don't forget a charity bungee jump will take place at the Arches Bar in Mallow on the bank holiday Monday, so it's Monday week, with proceeds in aid of cystic fibrosis and Mallow Search and Rescue. You can register now to take part in the charity event by calling Emma at 086 235 Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now all eyes on Skull this week as people start star spotting in the hope of seeing some famous faces all in town for this year's Fastnet Film Festival which started on Wednesday and runs up to and including next Sunday. Joining me to whet our appetite from Skull, the wonderful Pauline Cotter. Good afternoon to you, Pauline. Good afternoon, Patricia. Long time, no chat. How Abs- are you? I'm very well, and I imagine the sun is shining in Skull today, is it? It is absolutely. <laughs> we seem to be poxed with luck when it comes to the festival, you know, and we. I think we really only had one bad yeah. um, weekend ever, but look, it's a beautiful today, so if you're out there listening to us, get down here. There's plenty to see and plenty to do. Yeah, because there's always such a wonderful holiday atmosphere at any time of the year in Skull. But when the sun is shining, it just puts it on uh, just on a different level. And by golly, you have some lineup of stars, producers and directors this year. What is the attraction for these big names to come think, to a town I, like Skull? It's so funny. If I was to answer it very honestly, I would say, first of all, it, it is the people themselves. They are unique in their craft and their gift, but they come here once and they fall in love and they come back. Now, the the other thing I really want to say, and this is terribly important, the village, all of the village gets involved and that community spirit explodes right this weekend. And we could not do this festival, of course, with our sponsors. Now, I'm not going to start naming because if I do, I'll leave somebody out and offend. But with the volunteers, you know, um, they come and they give up their time and what they get put is a T-shirt. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they seem to enjoy it because they can sit in on chats, you know. Um, it's it's just, oh, I love it. I love it so much. It sort of hurts, you know, that you can love something so much. Yeah. But yeah. you must come down to me. I have to. And I've been to Skull many times with the, the last couple of years with the staycationing and I've enjoyed every single trip that I've had to uh, Skull. But I think I think that's what the charm is about this festival is because when if my memory serves me right it started out as an arts festival then it went into a film festival it's grown tremendously in the 15 years but you've the, managed the first, to, you've managed to hang on to that community side that's to it. It. and that's that's, the, the that's what the charm is yeah and also I'll give you an example um i have to compliment um john kelleher for the program that he and uh, the committee put together is just it, 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 as you said it, it, it's amazing you wouldn't you you wouldn't get it in Cork all of them to come to Cork and I think they like to come here because they're actually treated like our guests and they become a part of the family but they I mean 
we've people ringing saying, listen, do you need anything? Um, can I come down and do an interview for you? Things like that. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. just want to come to school. But um, the programme is so versatile. I'm look. There are two or three surprising things. Um, the Fergus O'Farrell documentary is a must for everybody to see. What is Fergus that? Was, Fergus was a part of um, Skull. He was a musician. And at a very young age, they discovered that he uh, had uh, muscular deficits, you know, and yeah. he lost the use of his sort of, he was confined to a wheelchair. And at the, at the end, breathing and everything became. But his friend followed him for so many years, Michael, Michael McCormack, and did the most amazing documentary on him. I think that's a must. That, um, that people should get to see that. And then we have Interference, uh, the band that he played with for the latter years of his life, playing a concert, closing the um, the gig on Sunday night. Now, tickets for that are, Jesus, they're like gold. I think they're all gone, except for the guest ones, you know. Um, what else did I want to say to you? Um, Lenny. Lenny is bringing down Paul Mesco, and he's going to be in conversation. It's called Conversations with Friends. It's the new um, follow-up to the one he yeah, did. Yeah, and that's and the one that's all the talk at the moment, because that's, that's on TV, and you've got the stars of that as well. We have yeah. Alison. And uh, Alison Oliver and Joe Alwyn coming, and Paul has decided to come down as well. Paul Meskel is. I mean, I mean, I don't. Would I, definitely be. Um, I d- I d- star spotting. Well, I don't know how much is Paul Meskel on your radar, Pauline. Maybe he is, but certainly there's a lot of young girls. I, I think I, I hate to think I'm past it, but Jesus, I am. <laughs> but there are a lot of young girls. Have there are not, a lot of young ones. Have you not seen him in a pair of GAA shorts? Oh, I did. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, oh, another thing I want to tell you is um, Oscar-nominated Kieran Hines is going yeah. to be in conversation with Stephen Warbeck. Stephen is an Oscar-winning composer. Um, I think he won, he won the Oscar for Shakespeare, yeah, Shakespeare in Love. And he's coming. Paddy Brannock is coming. Pauline McGlynn is coming. Stephen Ray, who is on, uh, uh, along with Ashley Walsh, main um, directors, Stephen is going to be in conversation with uh, Greg, Greg Dyke. That's sort of the um, pinnacle um, interview. And Greg does it first, and he has done it for so many years, and we love himself to bits. And we're showing Song for a Raggy by a boy, Maudie, and Elizabeth is Missing. They're Ashling's movies. And then for Stephen, he chose he's chosen the Crying Game, Angel, and V for Vendetta. How, so, how many how many movies will you show in total in films? Oh, um, four over four hundred shorts, and I, then there's about another with with um, documentaries and actual features. You're talking about another fifteen, maybe eighteen. So because there, just, there, there was a time when the festival started that everybody who entered a short film you 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 showed them, but that 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 isn't the case anymore. Cause oh you, no 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 no! Anybody who enters now, the thing is, as they're go- and see, we Helen has a pallet of about twenty people looking at every short submitted. Okay, and they then are they judge them, and they've been doing it for a long time, so so they're very good at it, and then. They obviously the cream comes to the top. We always say that, but then they get they all get screened. Now, oh, do they? they? Okay. They all get screened, but maybe maybe as I said, uh, some of them may only just get one screening, and then the others will get two or three screenings in two or three of our cinemas 
or four or five cinemas around the place. So, but I don't know how they do that programme. It's an amazing programme what they but do. It, but it is a film festival in that prizes are awarded. Oh my God, you mm. have Best Irish Award, Best International, oh so many, then there's the best. What, what I love about the festival also, and David uh, Putman, lovely David, was very influential on this. We concentrated on the craft. Yeah. You know, we don't give um, actors, no offence, they, they get paid enough, but, okay. but we don't give actors uh, prizes. We give it to the people that um, have the skill and produce the little gems, you know? Yeah, who make um, them, who make, who make, the, who make the movie. Movies and and he's exactly. David Putnam. I mean, you can't have a film festival without David Putnam. He's involved well, as he is as ever. He's just, I don't know. He has the most beautiful soul. He, there was a, a chat with him last night, and it was with Hilary Derman, who's another uh, English producer, but is a very good friend of ours. And the laughing and the crack and the telling us stories about when he did Local Hero with Burke Lancaster. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just telling us and. Uh, the, the difficulty in understanding some of the Scottish accents, you know, it was it was so so funny. And but he will come and he will give up his time himself, Patsy, and they will meet and greet people, and they're just they're extraordinary. You know, I think people in the art and sort of film industry they do give warmly if they know that you're not out to make a quick book from him and that you're doing something that is going to benefit others, you know? Yeah, and you're doing it for the love and the craft of, of film making. And of course, as somebody's pointed out, Patricia, you, you have to, of course, mention that you're there, the Fasten Film Festival is held in Skull, which is a town that doesn't have a cinema, but yet they managed to put on a film festival. I mean, every, the village hall, every cafe, every pub, every restaurant, every available space... We put we we put screens in there. Yeah, like, yeah, that's how uh, it works. The hotel now is the main cinema, and the boys from Cavs have done it up beautifully. Red velvet curtains behind. They've made it like a cinema, you know. Yeah. And the hall is done beautifully. And then the evening we have the um, what we call the Protestant hall is terrible because there's a Catholic hall in the Protestant hall, the old lovely device of history. Yeah. But and uh, that's used as well. And then we have um, this year they went to. We had an Irish program which they took to Cape Clear. Would you believe? That's fantastic. And that, and that was, um, I believe, um, a wobbly journey. The wind was up when they were going out the. <laughs> but they made it. Yeah, they made it. <laughs> they made somebody it. said to me there was many le- leaning over the, the sides. You know what I mean? Are there but tickets still available for some of the events? Oh God, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Helen and Hillary, and Tom McCarthy, and all the other gang. Um, inside of the office, you know, from the, you should see the place with the flags. They've made the most, Gene and her, her crew have just made the most beautiful flags. And as I said, I hate doing names because if I leave somebody out, I know, I know, I know. So I'm extending to everybody the warmest thank you for what you've done to um, Bill and Judith. Hopefully um, I might get a copy of this and send it to them because they were unable to be here this year. And um, they just, they're extraordinary. We, we couldn't do it without them. And then all the other sponsors like this. Betty McCabe was being on beginning to you know, and the Arts Council and the and the and the and the and and then if they say no more, I'll be murdered. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I know t- for people booking the online shop is closed, but tickets are available by phoning 028-28600 at the box office on Main Street in Skull. And if people want to take a look at the because it's such a lineup, I and mean, we've only scratched the surface of it what's is, happening. Um, and the actually, the Fastnet Film Festival dot com. Yeah, Fastnet yeah. Film Festival dot 
Ireland.com. Go away and enjoy it. Will you get to bed at all over the next few oh, days? Oh, no, no, no. It was very good last night. It was very sensible. Oh, all yeah. the previous years, I never got to bed. But listen, I also want to say thank you to you for your support. Listen, our pleasure. Our absolute no, pleasure. I mean it. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Because this gets out there. So thank you. Okay, look after yourself. And uh, we'll chat again. Bye-bye. That's the gorgeous, wonderful Pauline Cotter from Skull on behalf of the Fastnet Film Festival. It opened on Wednesday and runs right across this weekend. As I say, if you go to fastnetfilmfestival.com, there is a brilliant website, but the programme of events is there. And it's just for, you know, for a town that doesn't have a cinema. It is just amazing. The lineup at the film festival, but the line, the the queue of stars who just desperately want to come, want to get involved, want to be there, want to spend time in Skull. So everybody heading to the Fastnet Film Festival this weekend. The sun is going to be shining on you, which is the real plus. Enjoy. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Pauline talking about the Fascinated Film Festival and one of the pieces she mentioned was the documentary about Fergus O'Farrell. Uh, Jur in who is listening is online in Boston says Fergus was an absolute inspiration and one of our own. It is a must see for all Cork and Irish people all over the world. Fergus said I watched the documentary on an Aer Lingus flight from Shannon to Boston in March. It was outstanding. It's a great piece of Irish film making. Thank you for that and good to have you listening to us online Jur and hope everything is going well for you in Boston. Okay let's stay on the topic of movies because Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Have you ever gone down to Fastnet to the Film Festival? Uh, I haven't, yeah. no. You'd love it. You would absolutely love it. I would suggest just go, sure would. go on to the, the fastnetfilmfestival.com and just take a look at what, what's happening this weekend. It, it, it really is brilliant. Okay, you went to the movies and you watched the movies first and the first is a movie called, is it Morbius? Am I pronouncing that right? You are indeed. Morbius and the second is Operation Mincemeat. Let's take a trailer from Morbius. What would you do if you could be normal? I would find a cure for us. After years, it's finally possible. You did it. You found a cure. No, my love. It's a curse. It's not a curse. It's a gift. All our lives, we've lived with death. Why shouldn't they know what it feels like for a change? You have to stop. Just accept who you are. The bad guy. Now I'm told this mo- in this movie the line between hero and villain will be broken. What's this about? Um, this is about vampires, or well, kind of a, a type of vampire. Um, it's Jared Leto as Morbius. This is another Marvel film, and uh, it's it's almost as if Marvel are kind of running out of ideas and they're thinking, right, what do we got? What 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 have we got in the back room somewhere that we make a film out of? So they're finding kind of old. Um, kind of comic book kind of characters that they've never kind of touched before and they've kind of just constantly kind of come up uh, with these movies and um, and this is Morbius which uh, is a comic book and a comic character that I admit I hadn't heard too much about but uh, here we've got uh, Jared Leto do you remember a few weeks ago I was talking about Jared Leto and how bad he was mm. in Gucci mm. and you know he's this kind of method actor well this is the film that I was t- talking to you about where he, in the film uh, because he's got uh, a blood t- disorder uh, he uses crutches and because he's such a method actor he was actually on crutches throughout the whole making of the film 
even <laughs> off stage off you know and then of course the, the problem with that is every time he wanted to go to the bathroom he would take an hour to go and come back and you know because that costs money so they decided well in the end he would use a wheelchair and some people used to push him around in the wheelchair and that's the problem with Jared Leto because in Gucci he was terrible um and that's the problem for me with method actors I know I've, I've complained about them before but with method actors they're either completely over the top mm. or you're getting nothing and uh, but here I think he actually it's it's okay it's it's not bad he does well the film has been completely trounced by the, the critics they absolutely hate it i think it's got a kind of a 17 percent kind of approval rating on uh, rotten tomatoes so people do not like this film at all so i was expecting it to be absolutely dreadful and of course in the end because when you i suppose if you go in with that kind of mindset and then you watch it and you go hmm. it's all right it's not too bad maybe if i watch it again i'll realize just how bad it is but i kind of enjoyed it but then when it comes to a lot of these kind of marvel or dc kind of um, uh, comic book kind of movies i prefer the origin stories and i think that's because it's kind of rooted in a story it's a human story as opposed to the later versions uh, and and the sequels which tend to be kind of very kind of cgi based and so therefore the origin stories tend to be kind of my favorites of, of all these films and i think that's possibly one of the reasons why i, I liked it you know we meet uh, jared leto he's got a red blood disease um he's got the same disease as his uh, pal here played by the ex-doctor who matt smith he becomes this uh, incredible biochemist as he's trying to find this cure and looks at vampire bats and their relationship with blood and he decides that well that is the secret so he uses whatever it is for the vampire bats to try and inject himself to see if that could cure him and unfortunately it turns into him into a kind of a vampire creature uh, who becomes incredibly violent and of course is desperate then for blood as well uh, the thing about the film is that it's a PG rated film and so therefore they've decided well we're not going to receive very much kind of blood I mean it kind of reminded me of the Venom films um, which again you know I know I complain about violence but I only complain about violence if it's in the wrong place uh, obviously if you're going to make a Venom, Venom film you know this kind of creature who eats brains and it needs to be a little bit more violent and it is the same here you see very little blood in this film it's almost like the, the makers went no no we're desperate to make this kind of PG-13 and even you know because we don't want to see um, uh, Morbius as the bad guy uh, he um, drinks synthetic blood, and even that is blue. <laughs> it's almost like the film company went, no, 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 we're not having any red stuff. No, 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 no. It's PG-13, remember? We're going to make it blue. And I think for me, maybe that is one of the, why, uh, you know, a lot of the critics didn't like it. Although it did manage to get to cinemas, and when it did, it did make a few hundred million dollars, so it actually did uh, really quite well. So in the end, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. My daughter had seen it with her pals before me, and I said to her, I kind of liked it. And she said, you know, Dad, you've got a terrible taste in movies. You really, you really do. And so, so maybe that's it. Because I was expecting it to be way worse than yeah, it actually yeah. was. It actually was pretty good. Matt Smith is very good in the movie. Um, he kind of, um, apparently, and it's only afterwards I read about this, you know, he channels of uh, Jim Carrey from The Mask in this, which was kind of really good fun. You've got Jared Harris, who is Richard Harris's son. He's pretty good. And Jared Leto himself is actually not bad at all. The thing is, it's just not as violent as maybe possibly it kind of should have been. But I actually ended up enjoying a movie that everybody else seems to hate. OK, but to have made it more violent, they would have lost the PG classification. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's, it's to try and get the fine line. OK, so uh, mark it out of 10. Um, I'll give it six. Six out of ten. Okay, and obviously, yeah. if you're into your vampire movies, I'm assuming you'll be attracted. I, you know, to when it comes, to, I'm not a huge horror fan, yeah. but I like a vampire movie. You know, I really do. There was a brilliant film years ago called Thirty Days of Night, which was kind of filmed around Alaska, where, of course, you know, it's 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 night. 
for 30 days of the year. There's no brightness. The sun doesn't come up at all. And of course, the vampires love that. And that's a movie I really, really liked. And incredibly violent as well. Um, but um, but yeah, and look, it's okay. It's fine. It's, it could have been way better. But look, I ended up enjoying it. Um, but it is PG-13. Keep that in mind. Okay, so that is Morbius. Now, Operation Mince Meat. Is this a, a, is this a World War II movie? It is, and it's based on a true story. Oh. It's been filmed before, and there's been a few um, it, there's been a few kind of documentaries about this as well, because it's an extraordinary true story, and it's kind of it's an infamous story um, as part of um, uh, World War Two. I first heard of this about 15 years ago. I think I was watching. Remember QI? Yeah. Uh, the, the television program. Stephen yeah. Fry mentioned this story, and I remember thinking, "Wow, what an extraordinary story!" And it turns out that it's abs- it's absolutely true. Um, what they decide to do. Um, those that be within kind of British intelligence, they decide to find a corpse, um, give it completely false papers, give it a background, uh, give it a girlfriend, give it um, um, and put false papers of, um, of a, about a false British operation to try and outwit the Germans. And so basically what they did, what they were going to do is they were going to throw it out of, of, of a plane in, in Spain, because Spain at that time, uh, even though um, uh, the Germans weren't in Spain at that time, there were a lot of German spies there. So they knew that if this body kind of washed up on a, on a beach, that it would get to, to the German authorities. But instead, they decided to use um, a submarine. So they released it from the submarine. And so therefore, uh, he had all, as I say, he had all these completely false documents and false papers about a completely ridiculous kind of operation that the British were going to do to try and outwit uh, um, uh, Hitler. And so it's an extraordinary story. I mean, it really is. And um, but the thing about the film, I think I think this would have worked better maybe as kind of Sorry, a TV did, movie. Did, because did, they a small movie. Ac- did they actually do that? They actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, and it turned out to be a success. Um, it did work um, because it because it had been done before. Um, a lot of those um, in the kind of higher ups of kind of British intelligence felt it wouldn't work. Um, here, the um, character of uh, John Godfrey is played by Jason Isaacs, who doesn't believe that this could possibly work. It's Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden in this film who come with this idea to Jason Isaacs and says, "Look, we think this could work." And Jason Isaac is completely against it. It's only when the story actually gets to Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill decides, you know, that's a terrific idea. Let's do it. But because it had been done before and it didn't work, they had to make sure that yeah. the, the the story of the corpse was um, was believable. And so that's what the film, the first half of the film is about that. Okay. And it's fascinating. It's about them kind of trying to come up with that story, trying to come up with a backstory that would be believable. And also an operation, a British operation, that would be believable to the Germans uh, as well. Uh, so it, it, it is very, very well done. The only problem is, is that for some reason, um, the third quarter, they decided to kind of bring in a kind of a romantic element to, into the film, which was completely unnecessary. And they bring in Kelly MacDonald, who causes uh, kind of a kerfuffle between Colin Firth and Matthew McFadden, something that was, I think, completely unnecessary. And that added 20 minutes to the film, which it really, really didn't need, uh, because it is a fascinating and very, very interesting film. The other interesting thing, too, is that Ian Fleming uh, was involved in this uh, whole scheme, uh, the creator and writer of James Bond. <clears throat> And there's one lovely moment where he's kind of he's in a kind of a, an office with the kind of World War Two version of Q and he picks up a watch and he goes, what is this? And uh, the guy goes, oh, it's a it's a buzzsaw. And so he presses the button. The watch turns into a saw and you can see it on uh, Ian Fleming's face. He kind of goes, hmm, interesting, <laughs> you know. So I thought that was kind of a, a lovely moment. The other problem, though, is I think we have a lot of British male middle aged actors here. 
this was made right smack in the middle of lockdown. You can see that they're desperate to be on screen. So there's a little bit of overacting, unfortunately. Uh, Jason Isaacs, for example, you know, uses his Lucius Malfoy accent here, which is a bit of a shame. Every actor who plays, um, you know, Winston Churchill always tends to overact. Uh, I don't know why, but they do. But Colin Firth is great. Matthew McFadden's great. And Penelope Wilton is always great. It's a fascinating story. And um, I think people will be interested. Uh, I love I love war movies and I love that twist that it's a true story as well. So it's, it's definitely one for me. Operation Mince Meat. Mark it out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay. All right. Listen, thanks for that. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Uh, But thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Uh, Good afternoon to you. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. 0818-103-103. Elton John's Farewell Yellow Brick Road, his final tour. We didn't get to play two songs today, but I can tell you there are two more opportunities today, Friday for you to win an entry to the final and get you one step closer to go to experience Elton John twice with Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. You're listening out for two of Elton John's hits. We play them back to back when we play them but only when the second Elton John song starts to play. It's then that you need to get WhatsApping uh, or texting to 0862103103. We leave the text message open for a set period of time and then we get a, somebody gets a call back and by getting a call back, you're through to the final draw, which will get you one step closer to seeing Elton John twice return flights from Cork to Liverpool. The dates that are important to keep in mind, you'll be flying to Liverpool on the 16th of June with the concert on on the 17th of June and then returning home on the 18th. So we've got two nights luxury hotel accommodation booked for you. It's right in central Liverpool. You've got breakfast thrown in and actually on one of the evenings that we're even putting on a three course dinner and some drinks. We'll pick you up from the airport and do the transfers on the Liverpool side. You'll go along, you'll enjoy the the, the concert, get to spend some time in Liverpool, we'll fly you back home and then you need to dust yourself down and get ready for the 1st of July when you'll be heading to Porky Creeve in Cork to see Elton John for a second time. So as I say, we didn't get to do it on the programme today but I can tell you it'll be done two more times today so stay listening for Elton John right across the day parts but you're listening for two of the hits of Elton John back to back. Had a few calls in this morning for people asking about the boil water notice in Killavollum. We've contacted Irish Water and that boil water notice does remain in place. They will let us know as soon as it has been lifted. But if you're in Killavollum, uh, you need to continue to boil your water. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Look after yourself and enjoy this fine weather. Work today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's consent now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.